you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of The Season with Peter Schrager. I'm joined here by Aaron Wong-Kaufman, our producer, with Jason English from the iHeart team. And we're sitting this week in a dressing room on uh, a high floor of a Manhattan skyrise. And our guest is one of the most successful musicians of all time. She also happens to be an enormous Kansas City Chiefs fan, um, Melissa Etheridge, who just got done doing a six-week Broadway show. might have been longer, to be honest. I saw it on opening night. It was the Broadway show, one-woman show about her life, um, which included a bout with cancer included uh, multiple number one hits, included her coming out of the lesbian, her uh, getting married, her getting divorced, then her, of course, uh, rise to fame. And there's a tragedy at the end where she loses her son and she bears her soul in this Broadway show. It just wrapped and she's in New York still. And I'm like, we got to have you on. And uh, she's going to join us in just a second. Uh Very cool to have in studio guests. We had Hans Schroeder last week from the NFL in his office. Well, we're in my office now, and one place I don't necessarily uh, have any desire to be is in David Tepper's office right now. David Tepper is the owner of the Carolina Panthers. They made a uh, surprise firing of Frank Reich public uh, yesterday as we're recording this, and Tepper just got done with a press conference addressing the local media. Let's go through some of the facts here. The Carolina Panthers are an unwatchable team. Their quarterback, Bryce Young, looks completely lost, and they mortgaged a lot of the future to go get him. They hired Frank Reich, who is a veteran coach, to be the voice of stability and to be the one who's going to usher him into the league as Frank Reich has coached several young quarterbacks in the past and has had great success with guys like Phillip Rivers and like a young Carson Wentz and, of course, like Nick Foles when Foles went on his rise in Philadelphia. It hasn't happened in Carolina. He gets fired 11 games um, into his first season with Carolina. Aaron, it is the quickest firing of a first-year NFL head coach in 45 years. Urban Meyer lasted longer. Nathaniel Hackett lasted longer. Frank Reich given the pink slip in Carolina, and this comes on the heels of him also firing Ron Rivera when he got there, also firing Matt Rule uh, a couple years into his contract, and not retaining Steve Wilkes, who had his team playing good football last year and is now the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. The initial reaction around the league and by fans is fair. It's, how could you do that? That's ridiculous. Uh, You don't give Frank Reich a chance. I've had some time to talk to a lot of folks, and you'd be surprised. A lot of people um, and several who have similar positions in the league, meaning either owners or presidents, they like, rip the Band-Aid off. It's going to be a wild January. What do I mean by that? Not about the playoffs. There is talk there's going to be eight to ten job openings 
in the NFL this year. And you can name the usual suspects. I take no joy in seeing some of those teams that might be replacing their coaches. And some of these guys will save their jobs. We've seen it before. I saw Chuck Pagano save his job uh, in the final you know, month of a season. I saw Rex Ryan save his job in the final month of a season. Um, we've seen it before where these guys can turn it around. But if you're talking just offhand, and I don't need to list them, I'd say there's eight to 10 job openings. So why would Carolina do this now? Well, Vegas already fired their coach. That's a different situation. Antonio Pierce is the interim. He's going to give him a real shot to be the head coach, but they're going to most likely do a full coaching search and Antonio will be one of the candidates. Carolina now has a solid two months to do all of the work now ahead of interviews. Go to the farthest regions of the world and talk to the most uh, you know, in-depth people you possibly can to get all of the candidates lined up that you want. Now, what makes it interesting is they went after that guy last year. I can say this now. I, I don't know if everyone was as aware, but they, there was real interest in Ben Johnson, who was the 37-year-old offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions last year. And this is before the Lions even made the playoffs. They said that great finish. Ben Johnson is a North Carolina guy. He went to UNC. He's a local hero. In a lot of ways, he would have been the perfect fit. That said, he said, no, I'm good. I don't want to interview for the job. He said, no, thank you went back to be the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. There are going to be eight to 10 other job openings. What now would change as they've traded away this year's first round pick? They have shown that they have a roster that is kind of barren on offensive line, skill position players, multiple things. And the owner just showed that he'll fire you if it doesn't work in 11, 11 weeks. He doesn't like what he saw. What would it take for Ben Johnson to suddenly now say, okay, now I'm going to do it. I say, I say this, it would take a boatload of money. How much money is Ben Johnson worth? Ben Johnson, a guy who's never been a head coach. Ben Johnson, who could walk through an airport and no one would know his face. Ben Johnson, whose name is still mistaken for the Canadian sprinter who went up against Carl Lewis. And I think that would be the first Google search that comes up. Is Ben Johnson going to get money like McVeigh and Sean Payton and those guys have? It might take that. All right, so say David Tepper says, I don't want to have to beg Ben Johnson to be the head coach of my NFL team. What are the other routes they can do? Well, you can go that same kind of deal and look at the young offensive coordinators, the young, bright offensive minds that people talk about. And that would be Bobby Slowick in Houston, who's 37 years old, and is the Houston Texans offensive coordinator, and is the guy who's been working with, with C.J. Stroud in year number one and got Tank Dell to be a elite wide receiver in his first season in the league. That's a possibility. Let's circle that name. Could also go to the guy that we interviewed on our podcast a couple weeks ago, Drew Petzing, for a two-win Arizona Cardinals team, but yet got Josh Dobbs to play competitive football, got a lot of young players on the field, and shown that he can run an offense even without the top elite talent in the league, a nameless, faceless offensive line in Arizona, a bunch of wide receivers who you might have on your fantasy team but aren't exactly winning any Pro Bowls or All-Pro awards, and then, of course, uh, quarterbacks that you might not be familiar with and Josh Dobbs and Clayton Toon before Kyler got there. So let's put Drew's name out there. Then you go through a list of guys that haven't had necessarily the breakout seasons, but we've been hearing about them for years. By that, I mean Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, whose home crowd was booing the play calling at certain points on Sunday, and yet is the offensive coordinator of a 9-1 or 10-1 team, and Jalen Hurts speaks the world of him and would be a very interesting head coaching candidate right there. Uh, a couple other names of offensive guys that you've heard of and have been around, and maybe it's their time. Well, you look at uh, what's going on in New England, and immediately you'd say, well, no, thank you. No one from that tree. 
But the name Bill O'Brien will pop up because of his success with young quarterbacks and the fact that he was Bryce Young's college quarterback coach and was his offensive coordinator. The two of them have a pre-existing relationship. I'll throw out my name that I will always throw out because I still think he's a great young quarterback whisperer, even if he's not in the NFL, but he just got done with the year with Caleb Williams. I'll throw out Cliff Kingsbury's name. Is that a possibility? Does Cliff get another shot? Probably not. I don't think uh, David Tepper is looking to hire another fired coach from another team that missed the playoffs. That's what he did with Frank Reich. But I think if you're looking about a young quarterback and someone who could speak to him and get the best out of him, Cliff's done it time and time again, whether it be Mahomes, whether it be Kyler Murray in those first few years. And then, of course, what he's doing with Caleb Williams in USC now, working with Lincoln Riley. I think that's really interesting. Brian Flores possibility. Brian Flores is a defensive coach. Brian Flores has been a head coach. Brian Flores is now in Minnesota where that defense is carrying that offense and getting them to the finish line. Is he a possibility? You go down these lists and then you want the wild card ones. Who are the wild cards? Is Jim Harbaugh a wild card? Would that personality mesh with David Tepper? Tepper is a is a bulldo- bulldozer in a lot of ways and is a big personality, but I could assure you, knowing David Tepper and watching the way he has owned this team, he just wants to win Harbaugh everywhere he's gone whether it be the University of San Diego, whether it be Stanford, whether it be the 49ers, and whether it be Michigan, he wins. Is Tepper looking to bring in Harbaugh? That would be a very interesting dalliance and a very interesting pursuit, and I would find that to be fascinating for the NFL for years to come. Uh, You look at Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator down in Baltimore. First real year as 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 the main man was last year. Now it's his second year, and that defense is as good as any. Does Mike McDonald, the young defensive coordinator at the Ravens, who also worked for Harbaugh in Michigan, is he your guy? And then there's our guy who we had on the podcast, Jed Fish, who has NFL ties and is now coaching at Arizona and got Arizona to do some amazing things this year, but has worked with Belichick, has worked with McVay, and has worked with countless others. The list can go on and can go on and can go on, and you can do the coordinator from this team. That's why they have the time to do this. Narrow it down, figure out what you're looking for, and try to put the best path forward. I think what Tepper said in his press conference today, and I'll summarize two points, I think are really the only two that matters. One, he wasn't like this in his finance career. David Tepper is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars from making money on Wall Street, which is as cutthroat as the NFL, if not more. And his point was people worked for him for 20 to 30 years. Like he had his team and he was not a guy who was quick to pull the trigger and fire people. In fact, he would nurture and grow. And these people, he's got his own David Tepper tree on Wall Street, all the different hedge funds and all different finance firms where they swear by Tepper and they say that he's the guy who got them to start. He's the Belichick of Wall Street in a lot of ways. And if that's the case, he says, you know, that's not my MO, just so you know, and I'm very successful in that world. But until you get success, I will be quick to make decisions because I know what success looks like and what we have on the field every Sunday is not success. The other point which was interesting was that he said he was set to take C.J. Stroud at number two. They thought they had a trade set up. They were going to trade. They were going to get up to number two with the Texans and that whoever had that number one pick, whether it be the Bears or somebody else, they were going to take Bryce Young and they were set with C.J. Stroud. They were fine with it. What happened was that trade fell through. They ended up making the trade with the Bears. They got number one. And he said, I didn't make the pick. He said, the football people make the pick and I'm the final decision maker and I was more than comfortable taking Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. And as this thing moves forward, I will be okay with it because I believe in the Bryce Young pick and we'll go from there. Um, They might blow the whole building up. Right now we've had already the head coach. 
Uh, Josh McCown unceremoniously fired after um, a, a great fanfare about his hiring as a quarterback's coach for Bryce Young. He's gone. Uh, Josh, as we say, as is a friend. Um, I think he was a little bit surprised that once they named the interim coach, the interim coach, Chris Tabor, said, all right, out with you and out with Deuce Staley. I think both those guys have really good resumes. Josh is a player, Deuce is a player, and as a coach, they'll be okay. I assume they're both going to be all right. But part of that is, you know, we need to just extinguish everybody from the building, put in our guys who we want. Josh was in Bryce's ear the most. So if the new coaches, Jim Caldwell, Thomas Brown, whoever, the fact that we're naming a half dozen different offensive minds probably was part of the problem here. That's a lot of people in a young quarterback's ear. They'll figure this thing out. Then the general manager situation is fascinating. Scott Fitterer was chosen after a lengthy general manager search in Carolina a few years ago. I'm talking three rounds and everyone from Ryan Poles to Adam Peters to all these different guys who met and then did not get the job. They chose Scott Fitterer, who had been an interview candidate for several different jobs over the years. Fitterer is there. Dan Morgan, the former Carolina Panther legend, is there in the front office. Do they blow that whole front office out? And do we start from scratch on that side of it as well? We will see. But whatever the reason that they did it this week or not, the, the bottom line is this. Tepper couldn't watch his team anymore. He found it disgusting. He couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. And he couldn't see success coming. So they make the change. Um, and everyone goes up in arms and says he's a horrible owner. We'll see. Let's see. He's going to get a... Let's see. He's had... Ron, he's had whoever the interim for Ron was, so that's two. He's had Rule, he's had Wilkes, that's four. He's now had five in Frank Reich. He's now got six in Chris Tabor. He'll go to his seventh different look at what a head coach could be for the Carolina Panthers, and that's just since 2018. So uh, interesting times in Carolina, but this is kickstarting what I think is going to be a wild, wild January of the hiring cycle. And you know, we we went away from calling it Black Fr- Black Monday on the NFL Network because it's like too ominous. I don't know what you want to call it. We're here. It's not even December yet. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a bloodbath. That's what everyone says. That's coaches from the head coaching position to offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. Just get ready. Buckle up. No one covers these coaches better. No one interviews these GMs better. No one talks to these young coaches more than this podcast here. So don't be shocked if a lot of the voices that you've heard on the season with Peter Schrager end up being um, mentioned and interviewed by a lot of these teams in the next couple of weeks. Real quick, Aaron, we got through Thanksgiving weekend. Everyone has their pictures of their turkey and all this stuff. I have to tell you, I went to the Jets Black Friday game against the Dolphins. I took my son, Mel. It was his first NFL game with me. And can I tell you the experience? Zero out of 10, 10 out of 10. It was unbelievable. I was so scared about the traffic. All I heard about was the traffic. Even leading up to the day of, everyone's like, you're, you're going to probably want to sit and watch that game on your couch because there is a mall there called, and chime in here, the American Dream, Dream. Mall. I had never heard of the American Dream Mall. Now, I remember there was the Xanadu Project years ago that Chris Christie tried doing, and it was just like a ski lift to nowhere. And I think that's what this is now. They took the Xanadu Project and they turned it so... You know, New Jersey, I grew up in Jersey. Tax dollars, the whole thing. They dump, you know, uh, millions and millions of dollars into this thing. It never opens for years. It's an eyesore. It's pink. It's on the side of the, the, the parkway and the turnpike. You're just, a, it's just an eyesore. And they eventually turned into a mall. How many years ago? Four years. Four years ago? All right. So then they turned into a mall. It's called the American Dream Mall. 
my last uh, version or the last thing I would ever want to be in a dream is in a mall. Uh, <laughs> they open it up. I guess it survives COVID. All right, great. Um, the American Dream Mall. We pull up to this thing. You would think it's Shangri-La. My 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 son in the back seat sees a giant SpongeBob. Then he sees Legos. Then he sees a water park. This thing looks like it's the most amazing place in the history of the world. This seemed like it was Disney and Universal combined. And I'm telling my son, no, no, that's not where we're going. We're not going to see your friend SpongeBob. We're not going to the water park. No, no, we're going to go sit in the cold and watch a football game. No traffic. So everyone who bugged me out about the traffic, no traffic. We get there. What time did you get there? All right. So that's it. Okay. All right. We left Brooklyn around noon. Three o'clock kickoff. We probably were walking in the stadium around 1.15. So I would sign up for that, right? Lincoln Tunnel, a little bit of traffic. Then we get there, pull up. Um, the Jets hooked up field passes. I have uh, no shame in telling you that I very rarely will call in favors. I didn't call in a favor. I'm like, is there any way my son can just see the field? I've been to a million games. He's never been one with me. There were enough guests on the field that I guess they could spare a couple more. My wife came with me. It was so amazing to be there and see the wonder in my kid's eyes as what he wanted to do, and you'll love this, he wanted to sit underneath the goalposts when they were practicing the field goals. So here come these missiles from Jason uh, Sanders and from Greg Zerline, and the punts are coming through, and my son is like enamored with the fact that he's watching from that angle the ball go through the goalposts. Uh, the game starts, it goes horribly for the Jets, but Mel, my son, had a blast. Um, the fans were cool. I, I don't get stopped everywhere, but an NFL game, if you're a fan of football, you might have seen our show, Good Morning Football. You're listening to this podcast. So people are cool. They're not assholes. Everyone you know, wants a selfie. It's, it's fine. I'll do a selfie. It wasn't too many. And everyone was like, hey, you brought your son. How cool. And like, eh. it was awesome. So we stay pretty much throughout it. I was hanging out. Got to meet Eric Decker. Remember Eric Decker? Yeah, oh, yeah. Got to meet Eric Decker, who, by the way, is the coolest dude in the world. And he's got four kids. And our kids are hanging pregame. And Decker was awesome. Um, you know who else was there who was super kind and cool? Um, the actress from White Lotus and from True Detective. Um, and like Alexandria, Bay- Alexandria, Alexandria Daddario. So her stepkids are huge football fans. And they were there. And it was so funny. So her kid, her stepkid and her husband, uh, Andrew, really nice guy. We we're talking to them pregame. We we're all in the same little waiting area that they like, you know, if you want to go on the field for five minutes before the game, you can meet them. And their kid had on an authentic Jets helmet. And I'm like, oh, that's badass. I'm like, did a player give him that? And the, his dad's like, no, that's $450 in the, in the team store if you want to buy it. I'm like, <laughs> you bought that? He's like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Yes, we bought it. He wanted it. That, that's his Christmas gift. I'm like, I love that. Um, the Black Friday thing, I don't know if the game stunk. I don't know if everyone at home was like turning it off in the third quarter. It felt like an event. It felt cool. I, I The alternative is not having football on Fridays. Like, I loved it. Um, I asked Hans Schroeder last week, like the impetus of it, I would say postscript, I'll put it out there. I would love it if it was in New York every year. I think there's a cool feeling of like the Rockettes and the, Mac- the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and New York and Thanksgiving and like, oh, there's a game on Friday that, You've got the stars already there and this kind of thing can kind of bleed into it. Um, I get the feeling the NFL is not looking to do that. I think the NFL is going to rotate it city to city. I don't think they love the fact that they're tied to the Thanksgiving cities necessarily. And this one, I think it would be a lot like how they have the primetime game on Thanksgiving. That kind of moves place to place. But 
10 out of 10 experience. I can't say enough about the Jets game day experience. Um, really cool, lively. They, of course, have what every kid needs, and that's great um, concession stands. And most importantly, a T-shirt gun and a T-shirt cannon. So that gets them going. And the music was great. The football just stunk. Other than that, it was cool. And uh, when you're a seven-year-old kid at your first NFL game, I, I don't think you're so worried about you know what the quarterback decisions are and how they're going to run the two-minute drill at the end of the half and whether or not you throw a Hail Mary with two seconds left at the third-string quarterback. You're more concerned with just the experience, and I think my son had a great one. So to uh, everyone wondering as we lingered on it last week, 10 out of 10, amazing. Take your kids to football games. Um, and if you can, ask for as many favors as you can so they can touch the grass, too. That was pretty cool. I know that was a rare experience. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I am so excited for this. Uh, our guest is a longtime friend of mine, a uh, Emmy winner a Oscar winner and she just wrapped doing a one woman show on Broadway that I happened to see and was blown away by uh, no further ado Chiefs diehard fan Melissa Etheridge welcome ooh, to the season ooh, with Peter ooh. Schrager oh thank you I know you're fried but I didn't win an Emmy I won a Grammy okay so, so uh, <laughs> let's get you an Emmy <laughs> how do we get you an Emmy well I'm working on believe me I've got lots of plans is it is it so um, like when you hear like that the accolades listed mm. and you're sitting and then you add in Broadway show where does yeah. that stand on like the accomplishments and accolades from a career? Well, you know, I, I, I stopped thinking about the, once I won an award, I was like, oh, it's not really about the award. It's about getting there. It's about the experience. And I, I, I really, nowadays it's more about, I want that experience, whether whatever awards are great, they're fun. I'm not putting them down, but, but it's the experience. And man, this experience of being here in New York city, being part of Broadway going and doing a show, same show over and over five nights a week. That was an experience. And it's something that I'm proud I did. Probably won't do it again yeah. soon. But, but I uh, have to mention, it's just, I mean, because I've got friends who are on Broadway. We've seen a lot, like yeah. that, that grind of obviously six days a week, but then you have the matinee shows and then you have the two shows on certain days. Um, by the end of it, are you just so mentally and physically exhausted doing a Broadway show every day? I can yeah. only imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, bless my family. My uh, my daughter was staying here and she just totally understood. And my wife, who was there with me, constantly like, okay, you know, sleep in, make sure I had enough sleep and and fed me. And just, you know, I had the great support. And uh, But boy, it was very exhausting. Yeah, and, I'm, and for the listeners... The show is amazing. It is your story. So it's not just doing a show. Yeah. It is bearing your soul to <laughs> yeah. strangers. What your story is incredible. But I, I mean, it, there's, yeah. first of all, it's a rock concert because you play all the hits, mm -hmm. which is awesome. But it's also this emotional journey through your life and what you've learned and all the tragedies, but also the amazing highs that have come with it. Um, of all the people who you got to meet through this mm. experience, either people attending the show or people mm -hmm. you perform with, um, was there someone new in your life that you met that you were like, wow, that was pretty cool. I'm so glad I got to come away with that experience as well. Um, 
You know, yes, there was. Now, I, I did get to meet a lot of people. A lot of great people came back and, and, and met a lot of people, you know, on Broadway doing the stuff. But uh, it, surprisingly enough, it was uh, Wolverine. Yeah, it was Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Yeah. He, For real? Like an actual yeah, friendship? Like butter from this? A hundred percent. I had met him before. You know, we, you know, in Hollywood, you know, sure, you, you meet people and you go, you know, I know this person, but, uh, you know, are they? and the, the show touched him. And he, if someone had told him you should come see the show, that maybe it would help because he was going through some yeah. stuff. And um, it really touched him. And I, I gave him my number. I said, you know, call me. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't. And and the friend, that the mutual friend, I was like, you know what, tell him he's not bothering me if he calls me. And, and he called and we just started talking about life. We started talking a lot about uh, what the show is about, which is, you know, how to be successful and you know famous in this world and not lose your mind you know and and be a person and and how not to uh just please everybody because we have so much success we've got to make sure everybody else is happy around us that's a that's a you know hard hole to fall into and and we've just been talking and i can now say you know i have a new friend because of that's that so beautiful um cool. the show itself tells the story but i think one of the takeaways something you just hit on that you were in a lot of ways chasing not fame, but you were chasing it. Yeah, and then you got it, and it was in the early '90s. <laughs> and you're sitting on the perch, and you're on the ro- cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah, and in the show, you explain there was this emptiness of wait, I got it, and it hasn't filled that hole. Yeah, that 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 I think it's hard to ex- explain to people who who don't have this sort of experience. But but you, I'm sure, have you know, growing up loving sports the way you do, and now you are on, you know, one of the greatest, you know, football shows ever, in my opinion. <laughs> and, um, it, it, you know, you're like, yeah, but that's not it. it, it that, I don't wake up and go, well, I did it. You know, you, you, it, it is about the dreams. It's about the, the adventures on the way to it. And, and so putting that in front of me all the time, no matter what, oh, this is the, this is the next adventure. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, the story is amazing and your life story is amazing, but your love for football is cool too, because <laughs> it starts with your father, who yeah. is also your biggest supporter in yeah. your quest to become a rock and roll star. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you tell the listeners your connection to football growing up in Kansas? Oh my gosh. Well, my father was, he, he grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and he, um, he was very athletic. He was actually a really good swimmer too. And his uh, the high school that he went to, the the coach, my, my father came from a really uh, troubled family, you know, seven kids. The father was a horrible alcoholic from you know, World War II, you know, just really, they Plague. were migrant yeah. farmers. It was bad. Yeah. And this guy really helped him and said, look, you can get a sports scholarship to college. And none of his family had ever gone to college. Hmm. And so he um, he went to college in Arkansas and got a teaching degree to where he could be a coach and he went to you and moved to Leavenworth, Kansas that because they needed a teacher. We didn't know he didn't know anybody there. Mm-hmm. And so I was born there. And while he was there, the the chiefs come to, you know, Kansas City in 64. Yeah. And and I'm three years old, probably. And I have pictures of my father and I watching the Chiefs on television. You can't tell. It's just pictures yeah, of us yeah. watching TV. But I've got a red shirt on. I know what we're doing. And he was so patient with me teaching me. And I think that's something that that I really loved. He taught me slowly about football. And it, it's all about, you know, and I remember as a kid watching it going, what are they doing? What? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why are they doing? Why? Oh, why did, what's that mean? And he would explain every single thing to me. And 
once you get the formula in your head, once you get the the strategy and you know what they're doing and watching it, it's so much fun to watch. And we would share. I remember the 1970s Super Bowl, Lenny Dawson. and You remember watching it? Oh, 100 percent watched yeah. it bobby bell and buck buchanan and willie lanier and just all these great and and when they won yeah i mean leavenworth is 45 minutes from kansas city and everybody just all the horns were honking yeah. everybody, and i was like what's happening in the world and once you have that experience as a child forget it you're hooked you're, and then you, you wait 50 years more. 50 years but you do and there's so many heartbreak like, i don't think people really, everyone talks about the vikings fans and the jets yeah. fans the brown oh. the chiefs would go to the playoffs every year as a one seed and have this amazing home atmosphere in Arrowhead <laughs> and they would lose the games. I know. They would always know. lose. And then to finally win, what was that like? I, I, it's, it, it is hard to explain. You know, having gone through it, when, when Andy Reid finally came, that was, you could feel kind of, oh, wow, we've just entered a, a level that we really haven't been on. Joe Montana. Sure. We were there, got there the you know, yeah, game, 93 sure. it was yeah. there. But but when Andy Reid came, it was like, oh, wow. And you could feel, you know, he we still lost that first year. Yeah. But and then, you know, Alex Smith. Oh, and, and all of a sudden there were games where finally you'd see, you know, Alex Smith as quarterback really try that extra bit and go in there. And the, that's why I wrote my first chief song, Alex Smith. I love you. <laughs> you came on the show, Good Morning Football, in 2016, before Mahomes leaving on the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. And you were like, I like the show. I'm going to come on. And you wrote a song called Alex Smith, I Love You, which to me is still my favorite moment on the show. <laughs> and so then when we get there, and and I actually sang the anthem when we uh, were playing, when Jason was on Patriots, the, yeah, yeah, the, the Patriots. Crazy AFC Championship game. Four D Ford. Yeah. D Ford. Mm. And just the feeling and the whole feeling in that stadium. I mean, you've been there. Just, oh, oh. Nice. and then to have There's it tension. In just, there. yes. And everybody doing that walk to the, the parking lot afterwards. I was in the building when they cold. lost to Pittsburgh in the playoffs that oh. a couple years earlier, uh, after like four different times at the goal line, uh, that game. Oh, and then God. I was in there when they lost to the Bengals in the AFC championship a couple years ago, but oh. I wasn't there. When you guys beat the Titans in the AFC Championship game, and anyone who was in that building was like, you felt fifty years. Forget the Super Bowl, just to get there again, and yeah. the stress of it yeah. was just gone. Yeah, and I remember. I think it was a Sammy Watkins deep touchdown yep. pass to put oh, the game away. It was, and like generations that, of Chiefs fans just oh, crying, yeah. crying, crying because it brings back your father. It brings back why we loved it. I mean, I still get choked up. Yeah, because that that was really special, and that first one where we went. And I remember we won, and after we won, I went, "Huh, this is what it feels like," <laughs> you know. And, and yeah. I just, I stood, and it, it was kind of like, oh. And the day went on. I went, "Oh, well, now that's over. Wow, what a journey!" And then you just want to get back there every yeah. time now. And you they know? have, and I know it's, like it's such it's a pretty gift. cool, right? Such a gift, and and you know, I it, it happens every now and then to a team, yeah. a different team, and and someday it could be your team. I just, you know. It might be just great when it does. What uh, What's your viewing situation? Because you go to some games to perform, but I feel like yeah. knowing you, you're a couch and superstition that's, that's me. and that's stay me. out of the room. Yeah. You are that hardcore though, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you'll watch the games. Uh, oh yeah. Oh no, no, I watch No, I'm, I watch every game. I'm, I'm a red zone junkie. You know how yep. six Scott hours Hansen. can yep. go by and, yep. and, and, you know, the, the whole, and, and uh, no, I, I like to go to the games but when it comes to like the really important games, the playoffs and, and like the Super Bowl, it's like, no, no, I have to watch it at my house. I have Is to. that right? You haven't been in the building for either one of the Super Bowl wins? No, 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 no. 
I haven't. I've been at home. Interesting. I know it's it's. I've been on the field for both the Super Bowls because they're both on Fox, and I was doing post game interviews, oh. and it's that same feeling of the Chiefs fan I was just talking about of just oh. generation of generation, and it's like yeah. that is a real fan base. Oh no, it's for real. It's so. I mean, I can walk around, and I do often in my Chiefs regalia, and and I you know I'm walk through airports. I'm in every city. I'm in countries where yeah. people walk up and go, "Oh, the Chiefs," you know. <laughs> and before, I mean, now it's like we're gonna like have yeah, but, yeah. But back then, before people really knew, it's it's a it's a, a language. You're instantly you know friends. <laughs> Is there? You're an individual act when you go out there on the stage and then you see mm-hmm. this team sport. Is there oh. some sort of parallel to, you know, the art of football and the art of music? Oh, yeah. No, no. It's, and I can do my show solo. Yeah, I can. But I prefer to do it with a group. And then not only do I have those musicians on stage, but all the technicians sure. behind. And it takes that. It, we're, we're about a 12-person, you know, unit as we travel around the world. Man, those 12 people, they know exactly what to do. And sometimes, I, it's funny, I've had a conversation with my wife where I say, God, I feel like Patrick Mahomes. I feel like yeah. like there was, uh, there's, there's a time when like something can be going so well, the audience is crazy. Let's say it's like 40,000 people at you know, some outdoor big crazy thing. And I just, can, I can look. I, I you have actually, I have my Kelsey. I look, I've looked at my drummer like this and he knows okay we're not going it, it, it's like they know you don't even have to say what it is it's just a look and everyone goes okay i know what we're gonna do and yeah. boom it's really fun and i felt i felt like that um so i love the show but i was a part of the show getting to know your story even more and there's been about with cancer there's been tragedy in in your life but i, I want to talk about like the rise because i think that's such a cool story for so many people like mm. you moved to la you have a family member, if I'm not mistaken, who was out yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, she was my aunt. Yeah. Your aunt. You moved to L.A., not knowing anybody, and you didn't just, this wasn't, I take the Greyhound to L.A. and I hit it. You struggled for a while yeah. out in L.A., and <laughs> one of the stories is you end up in, at a lesbian bar yeah. as the in-house entertainment, <laughs> and it becomes a sensation in like the underground of L.A., and that kickstarts your career, and that's when the A&R record first sees you. But this is in the 80s. This isn't in 2020. Oh no. This is the 80s. This is, and it did. It took five years. And my my manager at the time, he and I made a choice because I was making a living. I was actually getting paid to play five nights a week. And, and musicians don't have that in LA. And I had made this, you know, spot for me to play and make money. What was the bar called? Well, there were, uh, one was called, I actually played in two separate, well, three, but two, really. One was called Vermes, which is weird. Okay. But, um, and the other one's called Quesera, the Quesera Sera. And that's actually, it started as a, it, it's in Long Beach, and it started as a, you know, ladies, a woman's club, a lesbian yeah. bar. They, I said, look, let me set up in the corner. They didn't have a light. After, after like the first year, they said, hey, we get, we'll get you a spotlight. I was like, hey, great, you know. <laughs> but I s- s- sat up in the corner and I would play. And now... That bar is not a lesbian bar anymore. It's a live music club oh, that's in a, Long Beach. Yeah, and and my my gold records in the corner, and yeah, it's it's really I'm really proud of that. That's so cool. And then the record guys got, and you had a couple records before you hit it though. Yeah, I mean, my first record, you, you know, if you bring me some water, like the way I do, those songs are are classics in the kind of the rock world. But it wasn't until it wasn't until my fourth album that I got like a big mainstream hit. Yeah. The first big hit was what? 
was come to my was come to my window. Okay, and and when, then I'm the only one. And so you had both those hits back to back, and you end up on the cover of the Rolling Stone yeah. magazine. Yeah, you're doing everything on MTV. Your your fame rises. Are you comfortable with that level of fame? I, you know what's interesting, and I, I know you have. A, I have some of this. Is is it is hard to tell how famous you are in the world because you're in your own it, skin. You're in your own skin, and you don't. You can't. It, it, you separate yourself from it, and at the time there was no social media so you you couldn't you had to kind of judge it by as a kid in that era and uh not dating you or me but yeah. i was that was like peak mtv peak vh1 yeah. and your video was on every, you couldn't get away from every me. hour and <laughs> so like melissa etheridge was part yeah. of it was arrested development it was yeah. Melissa etheridge it was hootie and the blowfish like it was the late 90s music back yeah. then yeah yeah and for someone who had been hacking away at this for a while i can yeah. imagine like i did it yeah, you there, there's a sense of oh well there it is there's my you know top ten album there's now I'm a hit now and there's more people coming and I I am I'm playing arenas and you know and personally I I wasn't happy so that sort of I mean it, you do know it but again it's it's not you, it, there's no you can't stop and go hey I, you know I did it there I am there's no stopping you you want more of it you want to stay there you want to you know keep going so it's a weird funny trap the the fame thing is and it wasn't until i just let it all go and go no i'm just going to do what i love and whoever wants to yeah. you know enjoy it you know enjoy it yeah and i'm imagining that the international stuff which you talk about on the show a bunch yeah. all of a sudden you're in these countries and they know your songs by heart yeah and, uh it's a lot of travel it's a lot away from home yeah and of course you, you put it all together and you have this amazing career and then you're honored in all these different ways um then the 2000s how do you take it from that and say okay oh my god well, the the shock in the music industry from the '90s to the 2000s was unbelievable, and it grew. Once CDs came in and record companies started making ridiculous money, for listening at home, it was twenty dollars for a CD yeah. back then. They didn't think anyone would buy them because they sounded so horrible. They were like, "Oh," and and they just said, "Well, we'll just you know twenty bucks a CD, okay." And all of a sudden, everyone was buying them, and they were making money hand over fist. My rec the, the the guys, my record company, Island Records, was founded by Chris Blackwell. He was a just a genius. He he brought Bob Marley to the world, and U two, and he was just kind of this genius music guy. And so, in the nineties, then he sells his company for hundreds of millions yeah, yeah. of dollars, right? And so now. At the end of the '90s, I'm part of a big conglomeration. the The record company, the building is as big as this that I go into instead of this little thing yeah. I used to. Well, in '95, you know, the the height of that, yeah, that was it. By 2005, empty, empty, nobody it's music the, sharing. Music, it's over, and the 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 sales and everything just plummeted, and and I realized, wow, I'm on my own. There's no yeah no no infrastructure anymore to really you know you the radio stations had narrowed themselves down to jack fm yeah yeah exactly right? like, 15 year olds and and you were you were here or, or not and you know i get my songs played on you know 90s radio and stuff yeah. like that now but but man it was there was just no room for for artists and yet there's this touring culture and yeah. you have your fan base yeah. and I have to imagine that stuff never. No, never that doesn't go up. away. And I, I learned very fast. I could see that if you were an artist and you didn't write your stuff, and you uh, were not you know, a live performer, you were you know just a kind of a track sort of person, you were not going to make any money. You are you you're going to have 
money for a year or two, and then you're not. And you see all these people going bankrupt because of that. Fortunately, I write my own stuff, so I could. that's part of an income. And then I was dedicated, because I love it, to performing, to going out there. Every year, You go, I go over to Europe. I go to Australia. You keep going back. The people keep coming. You do a show that they like, so they come and... You, again. you do all the hits so that, you know, you play the songs that they love and you just, it's, that's my bread and butter. That's, that goes to me, all of that stuff, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, that's, that's what I do now. Yeah. Who are the, who are the acts that you looked at as peers in the nineties when you were performing? And I know there was obviously this amazing movement of women musicians and of course this different voice and there was a Lilith fair and there mm -hmm. was all... Who are your crew? Who are the people that you rolled with? And who was kind of the people that you looked at and said, hey, I see eye to eye with this person, whether it be man, woman, whoever. Oh, wow. Well, uh, Springsteen was a real uh, help and a real uh, Please, I had no mentor. idea. That's amazing. Oh, I'm yeah. from Freehold, New Jersey. I'm from his oh, hometown. Yeah. So he is He's the, the icon guy. of yeah. all icons. And yeah. he he kind of, for, for a couple of years, that kind of took me under his wing. And it what was years really was nice. that? Was that like that was 90, Tunnel of Love? Like when was Yeah, it? it was right around Tunnel okay. of Love, 92... To about ninety nine. So he wasn't with the East Street Band at the time. Yeah, and he's, uh -uh. Like, he's so he awesome. was on. Yeah, okay. and so we and and so you know we he helped a lot. We did a oh, certainly certainly you, you've seen the unplugged I did with him. Yes. Okay. So good. I was like, please, yes. And you know, and so that he really he really was helpful in in letting me know. Look, you you know uh, you you want to hit every now and then, but you don't want to have too many. You want to be known as a touring artist. And he's the one who told me, wow. go back to Europe over and over. They'll keep coming out for you. And he, he knows that. And, and so I've just sort of followed that, but there, you know, there, there was a ton of artists in the nineties that, you know, Cheryl Crow and, you know, we all kind of were in the same boat together and Lonis Morissette, you know, uh, Cheryl Crow was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We saw Dolly Parton mm -hmm. at yeah. halftime there. Is that something you would care about, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> I know we laughed because we were talking off camera a little I bit. Know. Do like, I care about is it? Is that even a thing or is it? You know, I can't help but it, it, it kind of is a thing. It's okay. like asking a football player, yeah. is that a thing? Yeah. It was the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's a thing. You would love to be part of that. Yeah. And you would hope that your music would would stand the test of time and, and be thought of as as you know, contributing something to the the whole world of rock and roll. And and I hope to someday be able to celebrate with my family and do that, but I'm not going to get all twisted no, up about totally. it. You, know? um, yeah. you also have a, a second memoir that is out, and I yeah. think uh, I haven't read it yet. I will. Mm. Um, and it's a little deeper than just music and the, the yeah. rise to fame. Hey, why don't you share with the listeners well, what your heart and passion is really circled around now? Well, yeah, it's um, my life has... Uh, Oh, I've just had the most interesting life. I, I really have, and I'm so grateful for my life. But one of the journeys I've had is actually with um, plant medicine, uh, you know, uh, psychedelics as medicine. Uh, when I went through cancer 20 years ago, it um, it played a big part in healing and kind of setting me to understand how important my own feeling is about myself you know, my, my health, my, uh, you know, choices I make. And, um, the psychedelics part was, was, was a big part. And, uh, and in the book, I talk about that. I talk about, I mean, the, the first time was an actually an accidental overdose of cannabis. I call it my heroic dose of cannabis mm -hmm. that I went way far out on, but it, it really opened my mind to a lot of stuff. And I, uh, I'm a big supporter. And, um, unfortunately about three years ago, 
I lost my my son, my oldest son, he was 21, to an opioid addiction. And he had um, he had gotten addicted through painkillers. He, he was a snowboarder and had a really bad accident and in his uh, foot. And so he he went down that road and, and it was very hard to see him. And I had wished that there was some alternative, mm-hmm. you know, to help him. And so we have uh, formed, after he, he passed, we formed the Etheridge Foundation, which is uh, a leader in uh, raising money to study, to get the data, because, you know, the government says, well, you know, we can't deschedule these things because there's no data. Well, yeah. you can't get data because there's schedule the one. We need to get the data. Yeah. yeah so so we, um, we go to foreign countries and we go all over and in America when we can to do, uh, to uh, fund studies for specifically for these psychedelics, these plant medicines and um, how they can help with opioid use disorder and, and you know, pain and all kinds of things. It's a beautiful uh, show. And that portion of the show, as difficult it is for the listener and for the viewer to, to watch it, you bearing your soul, it has to be therapeutic to be able to mm-hmm. kind of perform and yeah. share it with people and get it off your chest. Yeah, every night over and over. I mean, you, you came the first night, yeah. opening night, and it was really intense to speak about it. But then I got back the next night and did it. And the next night, and by my last couple weeks, I was like, oh, I have found a way to organize this in my mind, which that, that, that feels good. That mm. feels like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be okay. I do believe this. I do believe that my son would want me to be happy and not uh, struggle with any kind of guilt about something I didn't do or, mm-hmm. or did too much or whatever with him, that he would want me to be happy. He's out of pain now. He's, he's gone. Uh, you know, physically, but he's there and not, you know, and, and the spirituality that I have, it really supports me in, in choosing not to, you know, close off and, and make myself sick because I, you know, I've lost my son. And I tell you, by the last night, I was like, yeah, I got this. That, that, that really, it was very healing. What an amazing opportunity that you could even do that. Um, what's next? What do you want to do next? What's next? I just want to go on the road and just play my you, songs. I was, I was going to say, you could do one or the other. You could say, I want to go on the road and play my songs, or I want to go hibernate for the next six months and not well, be seen and just I'm be I'm going done. to watch football for the next the three months. I think your Chiefs needed you to be watching football the last few months. I know. <laughs> Maybe that was the one thing missing. It was so Melissa. hard, man. I'm so glad I missed the Broncos game. I'm going to say, the Broncos game I, wasn't the only I, one. I, I was at the Jets game, and I'm wondering, is this oh, the same? No, they know. won, but I'm like, what is going I on? I know, here? but it doesn't it seem like that they were trying to just see what key fit, and they would not give anybody. I don't know enough time. Yes, and until they I had guess. to do. The, it. We're recording this. The Raiders game just happened. They were down yeah. fourteen nothing, and they went through. But we just talked about it on the show. I don't get the feeling that they're suddenly fixed. No, 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 no. Not this like not we're going the, to go out. This isn't the team that was beating the Titans and the Texans in the playoffs. Just no, rattling up that was points. with that Tyree kill. And, yes. and he was he was obviously a big part of Patrick Mahomes's, you know, and, and that when you had Tyreek and Travis, well, you can't double team both of them. So, you know, you always had that kind of thing going on. So, OK, he doesn't have that, but we, we still have Travis and Rashi Rice. I think yeah, sure. he's up there in the top. He has all the numbers and he leads yeah. the wide receivers for yeah. them. And, he and, made a and big then play. it's just that it was just time. It's just throwing it to him over and over and over, getting him confident. Getting, <laughs> I love talking football. No, we could talk <laughs> because yeah. the defense has actually been carrying the offense. The this defense. Year. See, that's the difference. We, I mean, we'd play games like dude, I went to the game in, oh my God, do you remember Jesus On the four, wall. five years ago? No, the, the, the Rams mm-hmm. back in the Coliseum. Monday night game. Yes. 
And they had to change it because of the fires. So they put it Monday yes. night and it was 55 to 51. I was at that game. It was the most electrifying. Awesome game. Frustrating because my defense couldn't stop, couldn't stop them. And now my defense can. When it comes down to that part of the game and you're like, oh my God, if we just hold them for this, I, be I believe that they can. And that's that's different to a Chiefs fan because we used to always go, all right, can can they do it? I don't know, you know. You have such a unique perspective being a Chiefs fan and mm -hmm. an international rock star. And <laughs> we've talked about it before, you and I, but like this Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing <laughs> is bringing over a whole other audience. And a lot of football fans are pushing it away, saying, we don't need to see her after every touchdown, please. And I don't need Travis Kelsey's mom in a in a, in a shot every two seconds with, with Taylor. I get it. Yeah, you have a different perspective. You think it's kind of cool. Yeah. I think it, I mean, I, I never like to get political or kind of, you know, or, or, or uh, you know, highlight divides in yeah. our, in our nation, but there is, uh, there's obviously a, a, a rise in, um, in, in the female power in, in, in our society. Sure. You know, there's, there's an equalization happening. When you look around and see that who who was the best thing for the economy in America? Oh, it was Taylor Swift. Yeah, you know, just you know, and the Barbie movie, and the Barbie movie. Yeah. yeah. So this is happening, and you know, good straight white guys are are cool with it, and and there's others that are a little like sure. weird about it. So to see the most he man, you know, cool, the dude the of all dudes. dudes That's of, what he is. Exactly big straight white guy loving this powerful woman that's that's that can only be good that can only be good it's like look at that see that's how you love a powerful woman you you embrace her you support her and show up and go yeah i'm here there's that moment where he's down there in argentina and she comes running off the stage oh and kiss him. i don't care how cynical you are i don't care how <laughs> much so, hate you have it's love. you have to appreciate it yes we went nuts my fan I, I can't even i've got two i've got a 20 seven and a 17 year old daughter and they just you know were the, did you see the, the, yeah, did yeah. you see her and it's so it, it, it's such an american story and it's beautiful and and it gives us something all to kind of look at and go look no no no, we're not divided this is how you can do it we can we can grow and change and, and get out of the weird patriarchy stuff and and be more balanced have you met travis before i have not we gotta they, make that happen he's are, really great i I bet. I mean, I've just seen him, you know. He's funny. So funny. And it's, you know, it's not a corny, like, football player. No. It's He's clever. Like, yeah. I've had a lot of experience with him where I'm like, oh, that was actually a good line. And yeah. then he hosted Saturday Night Live and was excellent. He was awesome. Yeah, I, 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 I hope he doesn't retire soon, but, you know, it is around the corner and I'm prepared for that. Yeah. And he mentioned it in the Wall Street Journal. They had an article, yeah. a big form, and he said, you know, eventually that day's coming. And everyone freaked out, but, you know, he's... Same age as Gronkowski. Gronkowski's been out of the game for several years. No, so he's crazy. 34. It's not. It's I gonna know. happen. Have you met Taylor Swift? Yes. Well, well I, I met her once. Uh, gosh, 15 years ago when she when she was like second or third album was out and hers and uh, where'd you meet her? Where was it? Where, I was at it. It was or? an awards thing. Oh, okay, cool. And I was backstage, and she was so sweet. This is when she was, you know, 19 yeah. maybe or something, really young. And she came up to me, and she was a fan, and it was very sweet. And she goes, "I just got to tell you, you you've meant so much to me. You, I saw you when I was eleven years old, in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania." Yeah. And she said, "And be and my parents took me to see you, 
And I picked up the guitar because of you. Oh, my God. I know. And I, I tell that to my kids all yeah. the time just to try to get yeah. cool <laughs> respect. Yeah. yeah, cool points. Yeah. But, who but, who you is know, that for you? Is that Janis Joplin? Is that Joan Baez? Who was wow. there? Like? You know, no. Uh, Janis Joplin scared me when I was a kid. Why? You thought it was too yeah, much hectic? It, it, and... I, I got it when I was like 18 or 19. Yeah. But when I was 11 or 12, it was, she had weird hair and I didn't, yeah, yeah. I screamed. I didn't uh -huh. get it. It was... Um, it was more the Beatles. Okay. It was more your singer-songwriters. And there wasn't a lot of women that I no. looked I up to at that to, time. Joni yeah. Mitchell, like I'm trying to wrap it Yeah, Joni Mitchell was, was as, as, a, as a songwriter, I, I, I really appreciated her. Uh, there was an artist named Joan Armitrading that was, uh, was kind of underground and big in the late 70s, early 80s that I loved. Um, it was the songwriters. It was Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. You know, it was... It was um, it was Barbara Streisand. You know, yeah. I, I thought she was an incredible performer. It was the you know the people that got up and were able to hold an audience and sing. I always felt like if I could sing, if I could write, then I could you know stay in that arena of of singer songwriters that I that I loved. Um, the Chiefs are now quite, uh, driving towards the playoff. Would you go to a game in the next few weeks, or are you like I'm good? Oh, it's funny. Um, if if they asked me. To come do something. Okay. You've already might. done the anthem. Would I've you done do it the again? anthem three times and they've lost every time. Okay. So no more anthem. So I know. We love the anthem, but <laughs> know, no more anthem. I know. I know. So I, uh, I, I went to the- You've beaten the drum too, right? No, it's, I have not beaten that. They okay. have asked me, but I wasn't able to get there. Okay. So I, I might. I don't know. I get really comfortable at home. And now I that I have it. not- That I've had to watch the games recorded. Just so do you really- Because like, there's an old Seinfeld episode where he's like- I watch every Met game on VCR. Don't tell me. And then right when he's about to get to like the biggest point, someone says, oh, did you see the Mets lost? Right. <laughs> You're that person. You watch it. So how yes. do you stay off social media? You don't see the I ESPN. do. I, I, I There's no bottom line ticker. You're able to DVR a game. Yeah. And you'll watch it start to finish and yeah. somehow not get a score. Not a text, nothing. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And nowadays, the the things you can, you can watch them really fast. You know, yes. you can, and, and sometimes like the Broncos game, I you just had a feeling, away. <laughs> I, I, and I, I, I took. There's a thing. It's like you know, uh, important plays or something yeah, up yeah, to yeah. you know when they're playing. And I was like, okay, just give me the. Oh, and, yeah, and then I I'll watched the, the last quarter, and I was like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. Oh, that hurt, yeah. especially the Broncos. But but they were playing with such passion because they were. Um, we had beat them, you know, bazillion times. Thinking, and I, I'm friendly with Sean Payton, and his yeah. whole thing was like, if I'm taking this job, I've got to deal with. Justin yeah. Herbert twice a year <laughs> oh and Patrick Holmes is like, I can't. So him to beat Mahomes yeah, once it is was already big. a major it was accomplishment. Um, would you perform a song? I know we're here. Is it weird? I don't know. It's Dude, like one on one. I have my guitar. And, and, and would you play one of your hits? Or yeah, is it you know, you're okay. Yeah, why not? All right. Uh, Melissa Etheridge, take it away. Here we go. Dial the numbers just to listen to your breath. I would stand inside my hell and hold the hand of death. You don't know how far I'd go to ease this precious ache. You don't know how much I'd give, how much I can take just to reach you, just to reach you.
don't care what they think I don't care what they say What do they know about this love My favorite performances of all time was right there, right Aww. now. That was so good. I, Howard Stern once had the Foo Fighters on, and they play Everlong acoustic oh, on their show. And at the end, on. he's just like, oh my God, that's how I feel right oh, now. That was sweet. so good. Sweet. And I appreciate you doing that. Oh, what a pleasure. What a pleasure. Um, we've been friends for a bit on social media and through the yeah. show, but I feel like we've really connected over the last couple of years. And I just, good. you're a special person. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And best of luck to you. And come see me sometime when you're oh, in LA. I'm definitely going to be out there and we'll yeah. definitely see it. And I would love to come see have, you perform. It'd yeah, come have a dinner. All right. Beautiful. Guys, Melissa Etheridge on the season with Peter Schrager. Uh, go Chiefs. How about those Chiefs? <laughs> <laughs> You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Aaron, that was amazing. I uh, was not expecting uh, to be recording a, an acoustic performance today, this morning, and that was a huge highlight. That was incredible. One of the, it was great. That was, yeah, I'm speechless. For the listeners, it's, it's four of us in an office space, and it's four of us, and like, that was amazing. Um, Melissa Etheridge, so cool. And gosh, uh, that was neat. I'm kind of spellbound. I'm a little awestruck right now. Yeah, I. it was nice before you came in. You know, she was sitting in here and so we were chatting a little and I was talking to her about different guitars and everything and, you know, getting the story behind this guitar that she's got with her and uh, she just had it and I was like, oh, she's, you know, she just has the guitar with her and then uh, she didn't put it away and then it was sitting there and then... I went for it. I was like, we yeah. play us one of your hits because I, <laughs> I could also say like, we play us a song and she does like a silly like Chief song or she does something where she plays like a new song she played as the biggest song of the '90s. <laughs> Just like an acoustic version, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. You know, I think from now on, every guest, including OCs, including you know GMs, they've got to come on. They got to do an acoustic talent. performance of a song. Yeah, no, they got to have a talent I was portion. Say, like we bring on John Schneider from the Seahawks, and he takes us through the drafting of a player, <laughs> and like we get to watch it like in real time. We watch his craft. Um, in all seriousness, I grew up listening uh, to. Melissa Etheridge's music, of course, as a, one of many artists from the 90s. And then I have such an appreciation for acoustic, whether it be VH1, 
Storytellers, MTV Unplugged, and uh, I mentioned to her the Howard Stern performance that Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters had of Everlong, which is like considered one of the greatest like live impromptu on a show performances. Um, that was that moment for us right here. That was kind of cool. It's very different than our usual guests. Um, all due respect to Nick Casario, GM of the Texans. Different element here when you got live live music. Um, it was really cool. Let's let's wrap it with a quick mention of the game of the year, which is going to be on Sunday. Um, Eagles versus 49ers. I think it's the best game on the schedule. I said it before the season started. Here's why. A, it might help decide who's home, although I think it's going to probably go through Philly the way the schedules lie out. B, these teams hate each other. Like, it's real. They don't like each other. Debo Samuel, I think, called James Bradbury trash last year, and then they asked him this week about it, and he's like, no, I double down. Like, I don't regret anything I say. Uh, if you remember, Fred Warner's wife, Sydney, was in the crowd, and she came out on her podcast afterwards saying that the Eagles fans were absolutely horrendous to her and to the other Niners' wives. It wasn't even funny. It was, like, dangerous. Um, and then on the field, there's a feeling from the Niners' side that uh, they were screwed last year by the Brock Purdy injury, and that was a freak thing that happened. And there's an asterisk, and I'm putting these words in their mouths, not them saying it, but there's kind of an asterisk to the whole thing that they didn't get a chance to play the Eagles with their full strength and with with Purdy being on the field. So Purdy's on the field, Debo's on the field, Trent Williams is on the field, Kittle's on the field, uh, 4 o'clock on Fox. Greg Olson, who I didn't mention as a potential Carolina Panthers head coach, I saw he put his name in the, in the mix or someone threw it in there for him. He'll be calling the game with Kevin Burkhart, Aaron Andrews on the sideline. Uh, I'll be on Fox pregame uh, doing it from L.A. But uh, I really do feel like this is like, forget NFC Championship preview. I feel like the winner of this game is the top team in the NFL right now. And the AFC is wide open. On that note, the season with Peter Schrager, Delivering Results, is presented by Uber Eats. It's time for Delivering Results, presented by our friends at all Uber Eats, where I discuss a team or a player that deserves the award this week for their performance last week. I'm going with the LA Rams running back, Kyron Williams. Got off the IR and went for 204 yards of scrimmage only a few weeks after going for 158 yards from scrimmage against the same Cardinals team before he got hurt. They were 1-3 and three when he was out. They win the game, and suddenly with all of these teams losing in the NFL and especially in the NFC, the Rams have two straight wins. They're 5-6. and six. They're a half a game out of the playoffs, and they've got a pretty manageable schedule up ahead. Yes, they've got the Ravens, but after that, I think the Rams, they might do a little thing or two in the NFC, and they might find themselves as the seventh seed. Stafford was amazing, but Kyron Williams, second-year running back at a Notre Dame, a day-three guy, he is our winner of the Delivering Results presented by Uber Eats Award for this week. Uh, on that note, I want to thank both of you guys, uh, Aaron Wong-Kaufman, Jason English. I want to thank everyone out in L.A. I want to thank Melissa Etheridge for wowing us today with her musical brilliance. Um, and I want to thank you, the listeners. We got a lot of great feedback uh, over the last couple weeks from whether it be Drew Petzing or Casario or last week, Hans Schroeder, the NFL media EVP. It's a, it's a wide range of guests. We're doing good things. I think I've mentioned it before. We're, we're in talks to see if we can get to the Super Bowl and do a show from there. If not, that's a uh, budgetary thing and we'll have to just lick our wounds and keep on rolling. Uh, in the meantime, let's continue to keep on rolling. We can only do what we can do. We can only control what we can control and we're going to continue to get the best guests we possibly can and maybe a live performance of a number one hit from the 1990s in studio. Uh, enjoy the week, guys. An amazing slate ahead. Enjoy that Eagles 49ers game. Till next week, this is The Season with Peter Schrager.
The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 